It's uh, good to be here today. Uh, appreciate Fran introducing me. Uh, I've uh, known Caleb uh, a little bit more than two years now, uh, about three years, and we've been supporting all, all of you for, for two plus years. And uh, back in, I guess, two years ago in September, uh, there was about five of us from our church in, in the Dallas area. It's in Richardson, just outside of Dallas. We came up here and, and helped get this building ready. And so, but we didn't get to see the finished product. Uh, so it's great to be here and see this beautiful space uh, that all of you have. So it's great to be here today. So I just a little bit about myself, uh, so you'll get to know me before we dive into the Gospel of John. Uh, my name is Drew Gaylor, and I'm the preaching minister at uh, Richardson East Church of Christ in Richardson, Texas. I've uh, been there about four years. Uh, before that, I uh, had been in Georgia and actually worked for the church in Indiana for a few years. So I uh, did have some, a little bit of a brief stint up where it gets cold in the winter like it's supposed to get, right? Um, uh, hospice wife, Jennifer, who is a RN, and she has done labor and delivery nursing, uh, hospice nursing, now she's a school nurse. So she's covering the whole spectrum of life uh, in nursing care. And, and then my son, Tyler, who's 14, I have a daughter, Lorelai, who's 10, and so they keep us pretty busy as well. Uh, but before going to Texas, uh, I did grow up in Georgia. I, uh, my hometown is where I grew up, and uh, as being from Georgia, I like all the Georgia teams, including the Atlanta Falcons, uh, which had a memorable loss. Time that we taught in the Super Bowl, and so Caleb has a strict policy. Uh, every time that we talk, he has to mention 28 and three somehow, or a 25 point lead, just to rub it in a little bit. And so I know he encouraged many of you to come up and mention that to me. So bring it on. That's what I say. And so I know uh, your, your quarterback is Tom Brady. The rest of the country refers to him as he who must not be named um, because he wreaks havoc on so many of our teams. So, uh, but it's, uh, it's good to be here. And uh, like I mentioned, I grew up in, in Georgia, the deep south. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative church environment. Um, it was very restrictive. Dialogue was not encouraged. Uh, and so it, it's, it's refreshing to know that there are places like the feast uh, where dialogue is encouraged. Um, one of the memories I have growing up in my, the church environment I grew up in was hearing a sermon one time where the whole point of the sermon was that we should never cuss. Um, that was the whole point of the sermon. We spent our entire time focused on that. And I can just, I mean, it hurts so bad. I, I, uh, a, few, a few months ago, I was walking into our church and I stubbed my toe. I mean, it hurts so bad. I, I feel like I broke it. I disappointed my preacher that day um, and many other days, uh, uh, to be honest. And so um, I think just growing up in an environment where it's restrictive, it's, it's great to have a place like the feast where dialogue is encouraged. And so we're going to look at Thomas, uh, a story from the end of the Gospel of John. And uh, he's a, a, a figure that um, I, I think the more we get to know him, the more of a friend he can become for us as we are on our journey of faith as well. And so I know that uh, you, I'll walk through these slides in a minute with the text and everything. And, and so Thomas is someone who, uh, growing up in the environment in which I grew up, um, it was almost like he was uh, who you're not supposed to be like. Uh, don't be like Doubting Thomas was what I was often told. And uh, Thomas gets a bad rap, uh, and we're going to go through this story and others, and I, f I feel like Thomas gets a bad rap because he's, he's honest, um, and I think honest is a good quality, fresh hearts. And so I, I want us to kind of come to the Thomas story with, with fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh hearts, um, and, and come to know Thomas as a friend. Um, there's a story that often gets recycled in, in, in Christian circles anyway. Uh, 
It, it's set in Russia, and uh, in that context, the Russian Orthodox Church has a common phrase that they use when they gather for worship, and they, they say, Christ is risen, and the church responds, He is risen indeed. Uh, so there's a story that comes from a college there where a professor who was an atheist had gone through this lecture of where he just uh, showed the class in his mind that there is no God, that they should not believe, and one student just simply says, Christ is risen, and um, this responds, He is risen indeed. Uh, and so there's good things about that story, um, this kind of proclamation of faith and uh, and, and clinging to it, not, not being swayed by the doubts that might emerge. But there's also troubling things about that story for me uh, because it doesn't acknowledge the place for dialogue. And what I'm consumed with in my own life, my own journey of faith, is the space in between hearing the proclamation, Christ is risen, and being able to respond, He is risen indeed in faith. So that space in between hearing the testimony and responding, and honestly, I believe where I have spent my years in just thinking about this space. And honestly, I believe that's where we live our lives in that space. The space between faith and doubt. And as we encounter different circumstances in life and different life stages, their uh, doubts will emerge. Um, and so Thomas becomes a friend of ours uh, because he expresses these doubts. And we'll see more about his legacy, his life that we can carry with us as we live in that space in between faith and doubt. So you'll see John 20 on the screen. We'll just read through it together. Uh, and, and, and as we, we do, again, maybe this is your first time to spend some time with this passage, or maybe you've heard it many times. But if you have heard it many times, approach it with fresh ears and fresh eyes. Now, one of the things that I want you to think about just real quickly is uh, as... As Thomas expresses his doubts, he says, I'm not going to believe until I can touch and I can put my finger where the nails were. Uh, so I'm just curious. We never get to see whether he touches the wound, puts his hand where the nails were. Jesus shows up and we get to see that he, we never know if he touches or not. And so just in your own mind, would you have been someone who would have, would have reached out and touched or would seeing been enough? Uh, we don't know whether or not Thomas actually reached out and touched. We didn't know he saw. But what would you have done? If you, uh, and maybe it wasn't doubting Jesus, you would express the same kind of doubt that Thomas did. Uh, and maybe it wasn't doubting Jesus as much as it is doubting the testimony of his friends. Maybe that's what ultimately Thomas was doubting, was, you know, I don't know about what you've seen. I need to see this. And so would we have reached out and touched, or would it have been enough to have just seen those wounds where the nails were? So let's read together. You'll see on the screen. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples uh, when they encountered Jesus. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he stood among them and, and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed.
So as you encounter this story and we stand there with Thomas, uh, would we have reached out and touched or would seen have, uh, his doubts and Jesus? Thomas has this response of faith after he shares this, uh, his doubts and Jesus encounters him. And so we have this friend along our own journey of faith. And, and it's so vital for us to be honest with the doubts that we have. Uh, the space that exists in between our own faith and our own struggles with doubt, that, that's where we live our life. And there's so many things that we encounter in this world uh, that, that drive us away from faith, perhaps, or in, force us to struggle. And so it's so vital for us to be open and honest about our questions. Um, we give them more power if we keep them silent. We, I know this is an area that loves football. Why, why wouldn't you in this area when you have all the success that you've had? Uh, there's a story that uh, I've heard many, many times. It's Floyd Little. He was a running back for the Denver Broncos. He played at Syracuse for college. This is years and years ago. Uh, and he was playing a game against the Chicago Bears where Dick Buckus was a linebacker. Uh, and they had one of those hits, tackles, that you see. And whenever you see those kind, it's like you, you have that moment of self-awareness. You're like, why am I watching this sport when it can be so violent? Uh, but anyway, they have this collision, and then they go back to the huddles, and, and, and Floyd Little, the running back for the Broncos, is standing there, and, and Dick Buckus looks at him and says, are you okay? And he says, I'm absolutely fine. Why are you looking at me this way? Why are you asking me this question? Uh, and Dick Buckus says, because you're standing in the wrong huddle. Um, and so uh, he's like, in explicit ways, and then he didn't, wasn't aware of it. And so I think in implicit and explicit ways, Sometimes churches communicate that if you have doubts or questions, you can't come to our huddle. You're in the wrong huddle. And so this is an environment, a place, where it invites exploration, invites dialogue. And so again, just want to affirm the mission of this church as a place that is honest in exploring that space between faith and doubt. And that if you're here, you're in the right huddle. Uh, wherever you are in your own journey, this is the place to be. This is the place to explore those questions of faith and doubt. And so Thomas, he has this legacy of doubt, but there's so much more to his story. And I'm just kind of just walk through real quick, and you'll see, uh, first of all, this image you'll see on the screen is, uh, is a famous painting uh, by Caravaggio, and it's the, the incredulity of, of Thomas, which is just a fancy word for doubt. And so it, 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 it kind of paints this scene, and in his, the artist's mind, Thomas did reach out and touch and saw. Um, but when this was painted, it actually created a big scandal. Because if you look closely enough, if you look this up later, if you can't see on the screen, Thomas's fingernails are really dirty. And to, for people to see dirty fingernails going into the side of Jesus was controversial in this day and time. Uh, but it's a, it's a powerful statement. them, And he makes our, our dirt, all of our doubts, all of our issues, Jesus receives them. And he makes us whole. He brings healing to our life. It's, it's just a powerful way to communicate that wounds and all, we come to Jesus. And he gives us forgiveness. He gives us healing. He gives us space to grow in our faith and exploring who he is for our own life. And so there's, there's more to Thomas than just this story that comes at the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll come to that a little bit later. But... So in John 11, there's this uh, story of the raising of Lazarus. And I think it's really cool that as a church here, as a church in Richardson, Texas, that we're both going through the Gospel of John. Uh, that was just something that happened. As I talked to Caleb, it was like, yeah, we're going through John too. It was like, wow, that's, that's really powerful to think about. Two churches so far apart having the same journey through the Gospel of John. 
And John is someone who writes his gospel for people who are second-generation Christians. He writes his gospel for people who have never seen Jesus. And so of all the gospels, this is the one that's written for us, people who have never seen Jesus. And so we have this, this testimony. And so John, is, is when he writes this, he's, it's later in his life, he's, he's advanced in years, and he's told these stories time and time again. Like we do as families, as we do as churches, we sit around tables and we have those same stories. And John 11 is a story where Jesus brings us his favorite stories, the best of the best. And John 11 is a story where Jesus goes and raises Lazarus, and it's a powerful story. Before this happened, though, uh, Jesus was under fire and actually had left uh, Judea and Jerusalem because the people there had tried to stone him. And so... He says, we're going to return. We're going to go back to Judea. And, and, and there's this complaint from some of the disciples. No, 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 no. Remember, they're, they're trying to stone you. And this is Thomas's response. Let us also go that we may die with him. This is not the same picture that has been painted of Thomas over the years as doubting Thomas. This is one who is ready to go, ready to die, ready to put his life on the line with and for Jesus. Just a powerful story. And and we know what happens in this story. You know, Jesus goes and actually raises Lazarus from the, from the tomb, from the dead, from the grave. And again, there's another famous painting that you can see uh, by Duccio, the raising of Lazarus. And I love this painting because you look closely, uh, there's somebody covering his nose by the tomb. Because one of the lines from the story is when uh, Mary says, are you, or Martha was like, are you really going to raise him or open the tomb? Because he's been there four days. There's going to be a really bad odor. So it brings realism to this story. This is something that is about real life. Uh, but he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And, and this is a story that as a country we've seen. Many, we all go through life and we collect grief. As a country, we've seen many, many tragedies happen over the last several months, several years. Uh, the recent one last Sunday in a church in Texas, uh, another shooting. And, and we just grieve for all these families, these people that are experiencing uh, just tough situations. Uh, there's been natural disasters all over the country the last few years, and so we collect grief as we go through life. And Mary and Martha both tell Jesus when they see him, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. We've said those same statements in our own hospital rooms, in our own gravesides, if you had only been here. So we relate to this story, and, and this story is powerful for me because before Jesus goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead, we have the shortest verse in the Bible. So those of you young, if you ever told to memorize Scripture, just say, I'm going to memorize John 11, 36. Jesus wept. It's powerful to think about Jesus weeping. He knows he's going to bring Lazarus back, but he's moved. If you read the story, he's moved, visibly moved by the grief that he encounters. So as we grieve, Jesus is there with us weeping. When they line up all the gods of the world... The way we can recognize our God is because He has wounds. He is someone who has suffered. He is someone who of scars. Of, there's evidence of real life, of weeping, of scars, of where nails have been. And that separates ours from all the rest. And not to be hostile toward the rest, it's just there's something comforting and reassuring that, that ours is one who knows grief, who knows suffering. So this is the story where Thomas was, was there and he was willing to go and be with Jesus and die with him. Not the same caricature of the doubting Thomas that we've often been told if, 
as we've gone through our life in churches. Another story is John 14, and Jesus has talked about how he's, he's going to a place to prepare a mansion in the sky, and in this house there are many rooms, and this kind of wonderful image that we see. And, and then Thomas asked this question, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? He's honest. He says, this is the question I have. I'm bringing it to the one who can give me an answer. And, and Jesus says something very important. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you come to the Father through me. <clears throat> it's powerful because it's tempting for us to think of truth as a set of beliefs or ideas or a list of what we're supposed to believe. But what Jesus gives us instead is a presence. It responds. It, truth is, is in Jesus, so it moves around. It responds. It, it, it's there when people need help. It's there when people have questions. And, and so Jesus says, I am the truth. We have that line. We know that testimony because Thomas asked the question to Jesus. So Thomas is someone with great courage. Uh, he's someone who ask questions, who is present and willing to have dialogue. And he's also someone who has doubts. And so of the many people that we see in Scripture, Thomas is one of those that always walks with me and I walk with him. <clears throat> As we encounter situations in life that raise questions within ourselves, we remember we're in that space between doubt and faith and, and we have a friend in Thomas. Who helps us? So after this story in John 20, John has two verses. And he tells us the purpose for this gospel. Verses 29 through 31, I'll go back to those slides and we can see them on the screen. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John, as a storyteller, has given us, we see the word faith or believe in signs that we might believe. And every time you see the word faith or believe in the Gospel of John, it's always, 100% of the time, a verb. It's never a noun. So for John, faith is active. It's going out living in response to what Christ has done. It's, uh, it, it's, it's more than trust. It's actually investing our life in Jesus. That's what faith is for John, and that's what we see lived out by Thomas. He lived it. He said, I'm going to go die with you if that's what, it, that's what happens, if that's what it takes. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to express my doubts. But when Jesus shows up, he's ready to believe. But like I said earlier, this gospel is written for those of us who have never seen Jesus. It's written for second-generation Christians back in... Uh, when John wrote this, in, in that sense, it's written for us so that we might continue believing that truth and life are found in Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to try to play a video. And uh, as we watch this video, just think about your own journey in that space between faith and doubt. Uh, and and what, what is one of those turning points for you uh, to turn toward faith in your own journey? Let's watch together. This story reminds us of John 9. It's the story of the, blind man, the man born blind who was given sight. And 
uh, and I love the way that this video was done, and it has this kind of expression of despair and doubt, and then that's transformed. Um, it becomes an expression of faith. Uh, and that's what happens when we're honest with our doubts and our questions. We bring them to the one who can help, um, and they're transformed. They're not thrown away. Jesus never scolds Thomas. He never gets on to him for doubting. Just this invitation to stop doubting and believe. And, and our own uh, preconceived ideas about doubt kind of shape how we hear Jesus saying that. For some of us, we hear him rebuking or angrily, but no, no, no. It's, it's so we live in that space. Just stop doubting and believe. And so we live in that space in between faith and doubt. And just like in the Gospel of John, those doors are locked, but Jesus shows up bringing peace. He shows up in the locked doors of our homes, of our hearts, and He shows up in order to bring us peace. And so when we're honest, when we're like Thomas and express our questions and our doubts, Jesus is there to bring us peace. There's hope in that. That image that we've seen many times, you'll see on the screen, of the incredulity of St. Thomas uh, was actually featured in the television show Lost. I don't know how many people have watched that show, but... Uh, at the end of that show, there's this finale, the, season, the series finale of Lost. They have this picture on the wall, and, uh, and one of the characters says to Jack, the kind of protagonist who was struggling to believe what was taking place, talks about Thomas and his legacy, and says, sooner or later, everyone is convinced. All of us, everyone on earth, everyone in our neighborhoods, everyone we work with, we're all in, in that space between faith and doubt. And so it's great to have a place like the feast that we can come and sit around tables with our friends, with our neighbors, and explore that space between faith and doubt. So just in closing, I think Thomas is a great... We may need help from... We'll go to the, the final slide. If I can... We may need help from Preston back there. Just that last one that talks about generosity and, and dialogue. So we'll get there in a minute. Here we go. So the values of the feast, I see them lived out in Thomas. So the, the, the value of dialogue, it's John 20, it's expressing this doubt. Uh, the value of family, John 14 in the way, he asked that question, and it's this very inclusive offer that Jesus gives us, that all of us, as we come together, can find the way in Jesus. The value of generosity and, and Thomas willing to give everything, even his own life, if that's what it takes. Um, that's another value of the feast. And then lastly, trajectory and this, uh, that space in between doubt and faith. We're on that trajectory toward faith. Uh, for Thomas, that space was a week. All right, he had to wait a week to see Jesus. For us, it's our lifetime. We're on our way to see Jesus. We sung that song earlier that God is the beginning, God is the end. Uh, we're in that space in between. And as we have this trajectory toward toward God, that God lives with us in that space and moves us toward faith. So I'll just have a time of, of Q&A. I know that you have a value of dialogue. That I've, I hope you see every week. And so uh, as you've encountered Thomas, uh, I've, I hope you see him as a friend as you journey with the feast. Uh, but also want to just open up any time for questions, any follow-up comments even, just uh, I know that I'm a new guy, and so just pretend like I'm Caleb. You can ask me whatever you want. I think it is, uh, and so uh, I know this is a place where I'm not going to give the answers 
I don't speak on behalf of the feast in this. So I don't want to, you know, do anything I'm not supposed to say. But but I think it absolutely is a model for for inclusion. And so, uh, in fact, uh, if if I had to pick a word to communicate the gospel to our to our culture, it would be include. Um, that's what God has done. He came to us when we were enemies, when we were outsiders, and He included us. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it absolutely means that. You mentioned learning styles. One of my favorite books is a book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Um, and it sounds exactly like you, you just, it, it's a weird, strange book. Gordon McKenzie is the author. Some, page, some chapters are just random drawings. Um, but he worked at Hallmark for his entire career, and he was an artist. And he felt stifled by the, the corporation of uh, having to, you know, stay in the box, so to speak. So he would go to schools, and he would uh, ask kindergartners, how many artists are in the room? Everyone would raise their hand. And he would ask third graders, about half the room would raise their hand. In about fifth or sixth grade, that's when it would change. He would ask how many artists in the room, and maybe one or two would sheepishly stifle creativity. And over time, our culture, our schools, our organizations, we stifle creativity. And, and almost where it's, yeah, I'm, I'm an artist. Um, and so I just love that his, his challenge to us to cultivate creativity. And so his, the challenge of anybody is to orbit the giant hairball of any organization, is what he says, to keep it creative. Uh, to keep it inclusive. And so um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And so I think that's a model for us as we encounter people that are different than ourselves. Then Jesus, there's space for us to come together. Great question. And so it's one of the struggles when I'm just here one week, I can't say everything that I want about doubt. So there's different kinds of doubt. Um, there's, there's, defiant doubt, uh, destructive, you know, the, the kind of doubt that says, I'm just always going to doubt whatever you say. I'm never going to be open to faith. There's, there's that kind of doubt. There's the kind of doubt that just I, that doesn't believe anything. It just kind of goes back and forth, whatever the, the trends are of the day. And, and that's not what this doubt is about. This is an honest kind of, I'm, I'm struggling to find faith here. Um, I, I, I see someone in Jesus that I want to be around but there's these questions that I have, and we all have them. Um, so I have the courage to ask them. And so there's healthy kinds of doubt, and there's destructive kinds of doubt. Sometimes I was talking with a student in a lifestyle that we don't need to live. Uh, there's a story of, of a Bible teacher who's talking with a student. Uh, who, it's a graduate student. He's married, and he says, you know, I'm starting to doubt my faith. And the teacher says, how long have you been cheating on your spouse? Um, and he was like taken aback, and he's like, how did you know? And he's like, well, for a while now. And he's like, well, yeah, because you're doing something that you know is not right. It's easier for you to say, well, I'm doubting my faith than it is to say, I need to evaluate my lifestyle um, and what I'm doing. So, so there's, there's kinds of doubt that uh, even that one can ra raise awareness of something we need to look at. Um, and so there's destructive, defiant kinds of doubt. But then there's a the kind of doubt that Thomas models for us. And so that's the kind of questions and doubt that's good to express and talk about. Um, so that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, and we only have this story because of John. Yeah, and so like one of the things I think of is Matthew, the end of Matthew 28, verse 16, the disciples, Jesus, when he showed up to Galilee and they'll see him and it says some doubted, but they worshiped Jesus when he showed up. And so it wasn't just Thomas. Um, so th there's other stories of other kinds of doubts. But yeah, I think, I think John, he's a storyteller, and he's told these stories for years. And so I think it's, it always helps me to, to remember he wrote this late 
you know, there's been decades of, of life since Jesus. And so he, he has these stories that really help, that he knows helps. And so he chooses to tell them. And so he even mentions there's other ones I could have told, but these are the ones that I'm telling to help you believe. And so I think he gives us Thomas because no one else had given us Thomas. And we needed Thomas um, because we, we haven't seen like John saw or even Thomas. Um, and so we needed to know that there's a friend for our own journey. And so, yeah, I think it's very intentional on John's part to say, this needs to be told. I don't know if that answers your question or not. But. Yeah, so we need to give ourselves a break sometimes. We can, be, we can be unforgiving to ourselves. Talk about being inclusive with others. We need to be inclusive with ourselves too and not so hard on ourselves when we're struggling with something. But that's why we have a place like the feast to come and talk and lean on each other. Any other thoughts, questions? No, I hear you. And so I think, I think Jesus does show up, but not, not physically seen a presence. And so um, that's, that's why John even says at the end, blessed are those who haven't seen yet believe. And so uh, I think he's a friend because of those who have seen, he is honest and expresses doubts. And that space in between where he hasn't seen Jesus yet and he does see him, that's where we live. Um, but, and we're on our way towards seeing Jesus, but I, I get you, we're, we're different too because we don't get that same physical sight of Jesus showing up like Thomas got, um, for sure. And so uh, I, I hear it, and he doesn't have to be your friend, right? Uh, and so, but yeah, no, I totally understand that. And so John is very careful to say exactly what you said. Um, blessed are those who believe without having seen, and that's all of us. Um, and so... Uh, and he's writing to people who are being persecuted because they're believing. They have family members and others who are mad at them and, and without having seen Jesus. They're believing, and so they're believing in the face of intense persecution and without having seen Jesus. And so it gives us the story of someone who did see and doubted. And so I, I think that's where it becomes a friend that we can take with us. But I hear you. It's a great question. And so earlier in John 20, he shows up to Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene thinks that he's the gardener. Um, and so then, you know, when she sees him clearly, he's like, oh, you're Jesus. You know, they had that expression of faith. And so it's a great question. And so there's, there's something about Jesus that's the same because they eventually see the scars, they see the wounds, but there's a different quality uh, to him as well where he's... Uh, so it, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, I know this is, you, know, you can read this later, I'm not going to read it to you. He talks about resurrection bodies and our, and our earthly bodies. And so there's something... Uh, of a different quality to the resurrection body. And so that to, for, for Jesus, they know him, they know what he looks like, but they have trouble recognizing him. And so uh, when we're resurrected, there's, there's stuff that's the same, but there's a different spiritual quality. Maybe it's the light that's there. And so there's something different about that as well. And so it's something to look forward to. Uh, it's a great question. Also, and God is, in order to have faith, you know, God has to reveal himself. And God is always revealing himself to us. Um, we can't force someone to believe. Um, we can encourage and, and talk and dialogue, but God reveals themselves. And it's all of our own journeys to make that choice. And so that recognition happens at different stages for all of us. Yeah. All good questions. Any, any others? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for me, as that search continues, what I found that's even better than an answer is a presence. Um, and that's in, in the presence of the Spirit, presence of Jesus with us. 
Um, and, and I think ultimately John makes the case in John 14 that once Jesus leaves and the Spirit comes, we have it better than those disciples. So we actually have it better than Thomas, better than Peter, because we have the Holy Spirit that's poured out among us, which isn't as easy to quantify as sight. Um, but as we have experiences of our life, we know there's been times when the Spirit has been there and has moved and has worked. And that's what we hold on to, that, yeah, we, we do find some answers along the way. We keep seeking. Uh, but what the, is even more better than an answer for me is that presence um, that can't be denied because it, it's, it's an experience. So come and see is how the Gospel of John begins. Uh, Jesus invites them to come and see. I think it's, it's better almost come and experience, right? Because it's not, it's not just about physical sight. Um, it's about experiencing the presence of the risen Christ. Oh, the Oh, the Spirit, the presence? Yeah, so, um, I mean, it, it's not like it happens all the time, but uh, even my own kind of d decision to go into ministry was a spiritual experience. Um, I, I went to church camp in the, in the North Georgia Hills, and it was the first time I had been there, and we went up and we were singing, and, the, and I just had this kind of experience where the Spirit was, like, calling me toward ministry. And, um, and so it was clear it was... I mean, it, it's weird to try to explain it, uh, but no, it, it really did happen. And so, and it was it's been confirmed as I've lived my life. That's where, where God was leading me and guiding me. Um, just the, uh, you know, I grew up in that environment I described um, and, and in a family that wasn't really enthused about church. I mean, my dad would take us and then stay in the car. And it, anyway, but I just was drawn. That, that kind of just, something was drawing me to Jesus. Uh, and so... The only way to explain it is the presence of the Spirit. Um, but, but for many of us, there's many other stories that, that we can name. That's just a couple that come to mind. But just, that, just the experience of the Spirit moving and, and speaking in ways that's clearly not me. It's not my own stuff. It's, it's God intervening. I think we're going to have a, a final. All right, I'll be around. You can grab me before I leave. And and fire some more questions. I think we're going to have a, a final song. Uh, is that right? Uh, I'll just say a prayer of blessing over you before we sing. Um, God in heaven, I just pray for uh, this church, this, this group, these people. Um, it's so great to know there's a place that values dialogue, uh, that values generosity and family and trajectory. And, and so uh, just, just bless their uh, own journeys of faith, and as they encounter neighbors and friends, uh, just, just bless their time of talking uh, about you with, with these friends and neighbors. Um, we thank you for faith. We thank you for your spirit that leads us to faith. And as we stay in the space between doubt and faith, and we, we, we journey toward faith, just help us to experience your presence so that we can uh, stay on that journey. In Christ we pray. Amen.